You're listening to the Lexington Lab Band Podcast with your host, Mike Vandemark. Hey everybody, this is Vandy in studio with the LLB Podcast, where we bring you in-depth interviews with the musicians and production crew members that make every episode come to life. Today our guest is none other than guitarist extraordinaire, founding member of the band, my great friend, the Tone Doctor himself, Mr. Dale Adams. Thanks for checking it out. Welcome to the first episode of the Lexington Lab Band Podcast. We are here in the control room of CTL Audio, where we do all of our post-production work and mix work for the episodes for the Lab Band. And today, at our first episode, we're uh, grateful to have Dale Adams in, the guitar player uh, in the band. Dale, how you doing? Doing great. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming in. And uh, we're just going to try something new with this uh, kind of podcast, and hopefully a lot of the listeners and, and people on YouTube and Facebook and all over the world will... Enjoy getting to hear from uh, different band members and different guests, um, and hopefully it'll just be a great time for that. You know, one thing that I was, uh, as we get started today, one thing that I was um, kind of noticing and, and paying attention to is I believe that this is the four-year anniversary of the first lab band filming of the Doobie Brothers. Wow, that's really how's cool. That, how's that make you feel? Uh, uh, really good. Uh, seems like it may have been longer than that ago. Yeah, isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah. I think that first time we did the Doobie Brothers... We walked in with no rehearsal, mm. if you'll remember. Um, yeah. We rehearsed that morning. We thought, well, we'll rehearse each song, and then we'll film it. And then we'll rehearse the song, and then we'll film it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that went okay. I think we had a few things that we went, we might need a rehearsal next time. Live and learn. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we did it with three camera ops, which was uh, which was not enough. Three. That's day. unbelievable. It was unbelievable. They did a great job, but we definitely needed more. But... It's just interesting to look back over the past four years and just think of all the hundreds of videos and yeah. 22 artists and, and things. It's been a really good ride. But we'll talk about more of the lab band in a little bit. Uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about just kind of you and, and you're growing up uh, in Lexington and in the area and your experiences with music. So uh, I'd love to just hear, you know, just, uh, just you know, where, where'd you grow up? Give us where you grew up and maybe work us into like your first experience with like music. Like, what was it? When when did music really hit you as a kid? Yeah, I did grow up here in Lexington. This is home. And uh, I grew up in a family of four, just an older brother. And my first experience with music was through him because he's seven years older. And he had a stereo in his room. And he had an eight-track tape player in his stereo. And then on top of it, he would just put all these eight tracks, you know. And he would never let me in there when he was around. But when he was gone... That's when I used the stereo. So I remember he had like a Uriah Heep. Uh, he had Honky Chateau by Elton John. And um, he uh, he liked Ario Speedwagon. He had like Ario 1 or 2 or both those. And so those were the first times that I remember listening uh, sort of vicariously to what he was listening to. And then when he was gone, going in and listening to what I wanted to hear. Um, my family was a was a family that I would say liked music. And music was sort of a part of um, our family, but nobody played music um, in our family. So uh, I had a friend who I went to school with who lived, you know, with a stone's throw away, who started playing drums. His name was Scott. And uh, he got really, really good fairly quickly on the drums. He was a really special guy, a real talented guy. And 
uh, he said, why don't you just get a guitar and we'll start a band? And that was really what hmm. sort of sparked it. And um, so I begged my mom and dad for a guitar, and my mom bought me a guitar at a yard sale. And it was unplayable, you know, pretty yeah. much, because she yeah. thought he won't stay with it. And at that time, you could buy, like, a little cassette and a little book, and you'd play the cassette and follow along in the book. So after I went through about four or five of those, she was convinced that I would hang with it. And so, Wow. Now, now going back, I had a similar upbringing where my brothers were 10 years or more older than me. And so my first experience with, with music was in their basement bedroom, <laughs> too, with their uh, record player. Was there an album that, that you were drawn to? Do you remember going... I, playing the same A track over and over again that was your brother's yeah. as a kid. Because, like, for me, I remember it was um, uh, two things. One was Parliament Funkadelic's yeah. uh, Flashlight, which <laughs> I didn't know who Parliament Funkadelic was, but it was awesome. You knew you liked it. I knew I liked it. <laughs> and another one was an old Police album, which really kind of formed me. Was there anything in your brother's collection that you went, this is the one I always went to? Yeah, uh, there was. Ario Speedwagon, and I don't think it was the first record, but it's the record Riding the Storm Out. Mm -hmm. And their vocalist back then wasn't even Kevin Cronin. It was some guy in front oh, of wow. him. But I remember the guitar tracks were just so raw and, and energetic, it seemed like. And I didn't know who Gary Richrath was, of course, at that time. That album, and I was all, always drawn to Elton John. Like, I just okay. like his music. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So so you get a yard sale guitar. Yeah. <laughs> Your your friend is is playing the drums. You decide to start this band. At mm -hmm. some point, you 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 realize, you know what? I I can play like this is what I want to do. This is the instrument for me. What what was that like? And then did you did you then go, mom and dad? I got to get something better. Or like wh when did you know? Hey, the guitar and I are going to be friends for yeah. for life. Uh, you know, I hacked it out for a little while with the books. And then for Christmas, I remember getting uh, like a legit guitar that could be tuned and played. And so my parents were very supportive in that regard. Um, and I remember after getting an instrument that I really liked, that my mom and dad agreed to let me take some private lessons. So I would go every week to this guy named Eddie Beckley here in Lexington, who unfortunately is no longer on the planet with us. But Eddie was uh, uh, just a great guitar player. He made his living. Uh, playing guitar in local bars and teaching. And he played at ES-335, kind of like Chuck Berry, 335 with a cherry red finish. And after a year or so with him, I think I knew maybe this is this is going to stick, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. What, what Were your musical tastes changing? Were there band, like, was he teaching you popular music or was he just teaching you technique? Or what were you listening yeah. to around that time? Yeah, that's really good. He, he taught me... Um, a lot of the you know basic chords that I didn't know, bar chords and chords up the neck of the guitar that I didn't know, and, and some scales. I remember learning my first pentatonic minor scale from him, and then he would he would teach me some things I didn't know. I remember learning like Poke Salad Annie, which was a great guitar song that I hadn't found yet because. You know, I didn't have a lot of resources to find music other than what my brother would buy and bring home because I wasn't really old enough to had a venue to really listen to a lot of music. So probably he was a big influence that way, too. The things that I remember Funk 49, I learned I'd never heard Funk 49, but it's a great guitar song. So, you know, he kind of enlightened me to different players. And uh, it, it was a real blessing to have parents that would afford me the ability to go to have a private lesson and then to have a teacher like Eddie was, mm -hmm. was a great thing. It was definitely a big part of the puzzle for me. That's awesome. What was your first legitimate guitar? My first legitimate guitar was an Electra, and uh, it looked like a Les Paul. It was black. You know, everything about it was a Les Paul, but 
uh, some people listening may remember these. Um, on the back, you could open the cabinet, and it had these modules that were maybe like an early Nintendo mo- module or something. And you could stick it in the guitar, and it would either be like distortion or phase shifter or different effects. That's so, crazy. And it had these two big toggle switches on the top, so you would click it on like that, and it would... So that that was it. You How know? long did you play that? Like, uh, probably for a couple, three years. Wow. And then I got a Gibson, like, solid body L5. It was it was a real inexpensive kind of a student Gibson. Okay. It had a set neck and had two humbucker pickups that had sort of a black plastic cover over them. Uh, and, and it was a, kind of a wineish red, dark color. And it was a really good guitar. And my father uh, played, played didn't play guitar, sorry. He played golf. Yeah. And he played golf with a guy named Paul Robinson, who was uh, at that time the PV rep in this area. Huh. So my dad didn't know anything about guitars, so he got all of his information from Paul Robinson, the PV guy. And so my first amp was a PV Pacer, mm-hmm. and I think Paul helped him with um, with the guitar. And later on, Paul would tell my dad that he had an old Telecaster that had been sort of beat up, and but it was a '59. So Paul said. So my dad bought it from him for, you know, an unreasonably f- affordable price back then. But the guitar had been cut out, the top cutaway, the top part of a telly, which isn't a cutaway, had right. been cut out. Oh, no. So it was almost Strat-like. But it did have everything else. So the pickups and the neck and all that, I took off of it and had a local luthier here in town. Bob Wilkett sort of put a new body on it and rework okay. it. So that was probably my first guitar that I kept a really, really long time. Did you did you have all that work done when you were like in high school? That you thought enough to go? Yes, I need to get this. Yes. keep these things because they're vintage. Yes, I did. I, I was learning enough that those you know those old guitars were were valuable. Okay, and my lessons were uh, in a music store where underneath the stairs where the studios were, there was a luthier, a builder named Bob Wilkett, like mm-hmm. I mentioned. And yeah. so just coming to lessons and passing through, I, I got to know Bob. That's been really I've known you know Bob. This is in 1974, something like that. And for our listeners, Bob is Bob owns a shop here in town uh, that's probably. He's probably owned that shop for 40 years. Yeah, he's been in business here for 40-plus. Yeah, 40-plus yeah. years, and uh, does a lot of internet sales, mm-hmm. and just, just well-regarded as a guitar yeah. uh, uh, shop here in town, and does great, great luthier yes, work. Sir. But, yeah. um, so a lot of our listeners probably know of Will Cutts guitars. But, um, so I, I, kind of the way I'm hearing it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is by the time you were in high school, guitar was really a focus yeah, for you. Definitely, uh, no, nothing else. Definitely. Schoolwork. <laughs> yeah, well, schoolwork was a, a sort of a necessary evil. Yeah, but yeah. you had fallen in love with the instrument by that point. You're totally right. In high school, for me, uh, back in I graduated in '79. Um, so in high school, it seemed to me that it was very segregated. You either were an athlete or you were popular or you're you're you know a jock or you were sort of uh not any of those and that was sort of me so yeah did you play in any bands uh, during that era with other friends or was it a lot yes. of just bedroom listening and yeah my my friend Scott who started the drums and we picked up another couple of people that we knew and we you know classic garage band i mean i have photos of us playing in Todd's garage or we come to my house to play in my garage and uh Kiss was Kiss was probably was our say. biggest influence. Kiss was unbelievable popular in uh unbelievably popular in the late seventies. I mean, there was Hit Parader magazine and all these sort of uh music magazines and it seemed like they were on the cover every other month. And we thought 
it was good. It was, it was something that we could sort of listen to and figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, Ace Fraley still one of my favorite guitar players. I loved Ace Fraley. We'd go see go see them. I remember at age fourteen going to Freedom Hall in Louisville and seeing Kiss and just being overwhelmed. Like all the visual and audio stimulation that was coming in was just unbelievable. That's like, interesting. Yeah, it was it was fascinating because they were the first band and you know that I knew of it wore makeup and costumes and had all this stuff going on and it was it was pretty mind blowing to a 14 or 15 year old. Yeah, kid. I was you answered it I think but I was going to ask you in those garage band sessions were there songs that you remember yeah. playing or bands <laughs> yeah. or, or like that you go yeah. that was our song yeah. that was our jam <laughs> yeah. that we yeah. went to every time. Yeah, it probably makes me feel uh, older makes certainly puts it in perspective but Deuce and Strutter and and That's a lot of those awesome. early Kiss songs. Kiss Alive 1 was you know, probably our favorite record. That was just such a, we thought, it, and, it, and it was, it was a great record for what it was, you know. That's awesome. It Again, for our listeners, uh, I'm, I learn, I'm learning stuff about <laughs> you even now. I never knew that there was the Kiss uh, connection, <laughs> uh, which is awesome. Uh, my my brothers played in bands, and, and I can remember going over once to their rehearsal <laughs> space at their, the bass player's house or something, and Kiss posters being on the yeah. wall. Yeah, now, I was too young to really... To, to connect with that a whole lot. But I remember they were all really into Kiss, too, mm-hmm. at that age. But mm-hmm. that that's awesome. Uh, you talked about um, Ace Freely being uh, just at that time. But I know there's – I can rattle off three or four other guitar players that I know that you that you revere. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe give me your your top guy now that you've, you've gone, you know what, I've, I've lived this, this life of growing up with a guitar and listening to music for 40 years or however many years and – this this if if there is one this is the guy that I go you know what this is the one that always brings me back or always inspires me or I always am drawn to yeah. is, is there a guy out there like that yeah there is uh, I would say Larry Carlton would be probably the one that I would put in that what you describe sort of position um, you know a lot of us can remember that we bought these vinyl records and in these vinyl records were album sleeves which had who played on the track and without you know, anything computer-wise or on television to to get this information, that was my sole source of seeing who was playing. And so you would see certain names over and over. And I love Steely Dan early on, and you would see Larry Carlton's name or you'd see him on a Michael Jackson record or just a lot of things. And so I kind of could identify what he sounded like and what he played like. And um, I always thought, you know, I guess maybe this. a lot of people can relate to this. You have a lot of inclination towards the instrument. You feel like you're making progress on the instrument. So you, you debate, is this something that I'm going to do or is this something that's going to be a vocation or a hobby? And I always thought, you know, Larry Carlton lived my dream life. Like he played on these big records and he played in st- all these studio sessions, but he wasn't necessarily popular or didn't have to be gone all the time. Mm-hmm. And I thought if I if I had his level of talent, which clearly I don't, um, that's what I would do. Like I would prefer that to touring or whatever. Um, but I still, you know, I'm fascinated with his playing and just the diversity of of all that he can do on the guitar blew me away and how he could do kind of what was required. So he's definitely a big influence for me. Yeah. Uh, and again, we'll talk more about probably the band here in a second, but um you know, obviously, you know this, and and most people that know me know that probably Sting is my biggest influence mm-hmm. in, in general as a musician. And so, mm-hmm. going into when we did the police sessions, mm-hmm. um, it you know it was it was pretty uh, daunting for mm-hmm. me to go, hey, I, I'm gonna mm-hmm. not only sing these songs that I love and I want to do them justice, mm-hmm. but you know, it's it's Sting, and mm-hmm. and 
his vocal performance is really a lot of of that music. When we did Steely Dan, I know, I like the Kid Charlemagne solo. As you approach that, was there any like, was there ever any hesitation of, I don't, I don't know that I'd really want to go there because it's Larry and it's. Was there ever that, or was oh, it more yeah. of a just a challenge yeah. of you know what I want to try to do this, yeah. or, or how, how did you feel yeah. approaching your your greatest influence and probably mm-hmm. one of the for me one of his most for me mm-hmm. again and I don't know his full repertoire, but that's mm-hmm. one of the signature things that I know of Larry is that that solo at the end of Kid Charlemagne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was me that too. intimidating? Or yeah, it was probably it was probably more of those two intimidating or sort of uh, challenging, more intimidating to think about. Uh, trying to play that because it's such an iconic solo that, uh, you know, most of our listeners are are people that, that have heard it, probably heard it a great deal, and it's not anything that you'd want to mess with, you know, because it's, it's really, it's probably, you know, perfect. But it's, it was also inspiring to try to get inside the genius of his ideas on those solos, you know. So it was, it was both, it's yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now, Larry's kind of, and I, and again, I, I don't want to take you somewhere that isn't that isn't that I don't need to take it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. But Larry, Larry's kind of known for the three thirty five, correct? Would that be? Yeah, he's Mister three thirty five. Mister three thirty five. And um, I know you've been drawn to those, and I know like recently, your the kind of your go to guitar it seems like right now is the Collings I thirty five, which is not exactly a three thirty five, but based on it. It, it brought me back to the question, has there been a guitar or a style of guitar over the years that that you that you kind of are drawn to? Are, are, is it the Les Paul? Is it the 335? Is it the Telecaster? Or, or does it just change all the time for you? Yeah. Um, it Probably the guitar that I feel the most at home with or the most comfortable with, I guess you'd say, hey, you can have one. You know, that's the worst yeah, thing a guitar yeah. player could hear. It would be a stop tail humbucker type guitar probably like a les paul or 335 or um you know those gibson esg explorer type guitars i like strats uh and telecasters um i i've spent a good time bit of time playing the telecaster and i really like telecasters i like stratocasters but i don't feel at home on them i always feel sort of like what do you think that is i think it's more for me it's my right hand like uh uh, the tailpiece of a les paul you can kind of rest your hand and palm mute on and i guess you know, that's where I started. A Strat tailpiece is, you know, flatter to the guitar. And it, you know, I, I like playing them and mm-hmm. don't, you know, don't say, oh, I'll never play one, but I just always feel like I'm visiting the Stratocaster. Oh, huh, that's interesting. Yeah. Has there been a guitar that, that you, maybe you still currently have it or maybe it's been gone that you go, man, that was, <laughs> that was my guitar? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there may be several, but, but is there one or two that you went, you know what, this is the guitar that I, should have never got rid of because it had my voice, or I I never did get rid of it because it has my voice, or, or anything any guitar that you go, man, this is really special to me. Yeah, um, probably the most special uh, Gibson guitar I have, I still have, which is a, a Les Paul Joe Perry sort of model, and it and it is it's a guitar that I would think I would never get rid of for some sentimental reasons, but also because just the way it sounds. Um, I've had other guitars that would be similar, but it's probably the nicest example of the Les Paul I've had. Um, you know, over the years, there's not too many that I regret. If, if it were, it might be an acoustic guitar too that I had that I've let go that I thought, eh, you know, maybe that, that one shouldn't have gotten away. But I don't, I don't tend to be too 
too connected to guitars. I mean, I, I think you find you go through a bunch and then you find a couple of three that you like. But but as a general rule, I, I don't have too many regrets, yeah. you know, seeing them go. Yeah. You, you know this story with me. Uh, I had a, a Collings acoustic, a CJ, that hmm. got stolen. And I, I remember when it was gone is when I realized <laughs> that that guitar, when I played that guitar, mm-hmm. it just it just felt right. It mm-hmm. just sounded right, and mm-hmm. it felt right. And then I got a <laughs> another CJ, which I went and played them all at Wilcuts and, and found the one that I thought was the best, and I, and I love it, and I still have it, and I play it a lot. But then, then and you know the story, the other one showed back up three years later, uh, and, and uh, the insurance company owned it by that point. It was, but, it, but the police officers were kind enough to let me come play it. And um, Man, I went, man, I missed yeah, that. I that missed is, that guitar. That's a heartbreaker. Yeah, it was. But, you know, and, and, the, and the one I have is, is, is just as nice, and it sounds great, and I'm used to it. But I remember when it was gone, I was like, oh, I should have. Or not I should have, but it, I'm, I can't believe that's gone. Yeah, and I know? think that's a good point, that acoustic guitars, maybe for me, yeah. maybe for you too, tend to be a little more intimate than an electric guitar. Yeah. I'm going to run that electric guitar through a bunch of stuff, and yeah. and I can I can take the pickups out of it if I need to and replace mm-hmm. them. An acoustic guitar, its natural voice either is there for you yeah. or isn't. Yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, this, this is just really cool insight on just kind of you growing up. Um, any any uh, any certain? Okay, so maybe we'll move into we'll move into more of the band thing now, but but. As you were kind of before Lexington Lab Band kind of came about four years ago, um, you were playing in different bands around country, classic rock. You've probably played in bands your your whole life. Has there been other bands over the last um, maybe twenty years? You know, not not necessarily your formative years of of growing up and hearing your brother's music and then playing in high school, but kind of going through. Are there those bands that you go? You know what? These are the these are the bands I'm always drawn back to musically that I that I want to go see live or that I want to hear their next record or, or those sort of things. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, certainly, um, you know, I I guess I sort of being born in '61 hit the sweet spot for classic rock. Mm-hmm. So you know, you always wonder what if I was born 20 years later or, or earlier, how would that would have changed? Um, but definitely, you know, the Bad Company is a band that I always followed. Anything they put out, I just like sort of the simplicity of their mm-hmm. music, and I loved Paul Rogers' vocal just on inevitably anything he did. Yeah. So I definitely keep up with with you know their career. Um, and then there's those guitar players that you like, you know, Journey and all the great guitar parts and Foreigner um, were you know big bands for me to listen to. Ariel Speedwagon certainly. I remember. Uh, you know, just buying anything they put out, and and for me, the Dibby Brothers were a huge mm-hmm. influence. Uh, Pat Simmons is, you know, I guess, you know, I've probably told you before. If I could meet one guitar player and one only, it would it would be Pat mm-hmm. Simmons. Uh, he's such an amazing player, and and I just so admired him. And you know, he was a three thirty five player too back in those yeah. days a lot. Yeah, so integrate integrate acoustic. Yeah, just picking. absolutely. Some of that stuff that you hear even in tracks that's really buried. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like uh, that's it's it's so unique yeah. and so amazing. He, he is amazing. He's he's pretty impressive. Um, well, yeah. So so kind of going into the lab band, maybe turn that corner. Um, it's given us an opportunity to jump in and play a lot of these tunes Absolutely. at a level that's maybe different than the garage band or even the bar band. For sure. Um, talk about just maybe if you can draw back to your your feelings and your recollections of. 
hey, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. We're going to start with the Doobie Brothers, who yeah. you just mentioned was, hey, one of your top things. Yeah. How did you feel about that? Like, what, what was it that, uh, did you go into our first episode going, this is going to be great? Or did you go and going, man, I, mm-hmm. I don't know how this is going to go? Or I'm sure there was excitement, but yeah. did, can, you, can you draw back to maybe your first thoughts of, hey, this is something new we've never done? Yeah. I don't know. Give me, give me yeah. your recollection. A lot of excitement, for sure. You know, when, when the Doobie Brothers was chosen as the first band, I mean, that for me, uh, that was very comfortable uh, because I, you know, tried to spend a, over my life, I'd played those songs a, a good bit. So that was nice. But yeah, there's always that because I knew we were going for a, a pretty close uh, tribute to what yeah. the original was. And you know, just trying to pull that off and all the nuances of it, because like you said earlier, sometimes those tracks aren't quite as simple as a casual listener might think. But after we got through it, it was so much fun. And and honestly, you mentioned earlier, four years ago, I still go and review, sometimes watch those those first videos that we did of the Doobie Brothers. And, you know, I'm really, uh, really impressed with what we did. And I think there was a couple of points where we did add uh, sort of our own ideas or threw in some things, but it it, it felt good to yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I go back uh, and listen. I talked to Ryan, uh, who played drums on almost every project, but definitely on that one. Mm-hmm. I go back now and listen to those mixes, and I, I, I'm honestly as happy with the drum sounds we got on that first episode mm-hmm. as yeah. I am what we're putting out today. And the video, too. I yeah. Th- you know, it's yeah. All, yeah, it also so works. I think they stand up the test of time pretty well, too. that that first year of projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's just talk a little bit about the process. Um, what, you know, there's preparation, there's uh, choosing songs, there's learning parts, there's rehearsing, there's filming, there's uh, just, just the whole gamut. Is there any part of the process of, of the lab band from from picking the artist to completing a session mm-hmm. that is just your favorite part? Mm-hmm. Uh, probably my favorite part is rehearsal. Rehearsal does, that may sound weird, but rehearsal doesn't have the pressure of being videoed and mm-hmm. being this is it. But yet the songs, when we get together, due to the way that we sort of have a, a lot of leeway to work on them and the level of players that I get to be with in that, that band – they're to do a great deal already ready. And I can remember specifically when we did U2. Uh, I never really worked up U2 um, tracks yeah. and stuff. And and we had Jonathan with us who just had those parts just dialed in. And I can remember doing um, those songs and literally very often just having chills. Hmm. Like the lyrics, the, what, the word, what the song was saying, and then... Just being, I felt like I'd just been dropped into you too, and it was really overwhelming. I never had that kind of experience in any other yeah. format. So that for me is probably one of my favorite parts. The biggest adjustment was probably the next night where we film, because I'm used to playing generally for myself or in a small venue, yeah. and and so what if you blow it here or there? Whereas in the lab band, this you know we need it to be. Yeah pretty much on so yeah. that was a little intimidating yeah. didn't i didn't hate it but it didn't um it didn't give you the comfort of sort of the rehearsal where is that gone is that is that lessened yeah got, it's gotten much better for for me having been blessed to do it for four years and then to see new guys walk into it i get it like i see their expressions and you know i want to go over and say man i know that feeling because yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i can remember that that night too not to honestly pile on to, to the same story but I remember when we kicked into Pride 
which yeah. is a song from my youth, thinking, "Wow, like yeah. this is this is yeah. this is it." Mm-hmm. Um, but so you two, you you mentioned, hey, I, I haven't really. Uh, hadn't really worked those up. That wouldn't have been a band probably that you would have drawn to. You you knew some of the music and yeah, things. But sort of a, a little, casual fan maybe. Right. Doing an artist like that, going into that project, going, well, this isn't necessarily my style. This isn't necessarily songs I know or love. Um did did you did you did you learn anything about yourself as a musician going into that or Absolutely. Or? I think every artist does that, you know, and and the edge and you know the U two project. I think what I learned was sometimes you don't need a whole lot going on for it to still be powerful and big, and um, you know you learn more about what what kind of guitar sounds are effective and what you need to do. So it is fun to sort of take a few weeks and really focus on a, on a guitar player. Yeah, favorite. Do you have a favorite? I'll give you. I'll let you answer this two ways. Okay. You can answer it one of two, or you can answer it both. It's it's whichever one you want. Favorite artist or favorite song, like video that we that that has come out, mm-hmm. or both. Whichever. Okay. You can answer both, or or. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, and it's it's really um, it's probably self you know uh, selfish to say, but probably Kid Charlemagne was. I did was fortunate enough to get to play the guitar on that, but that song being so influential and having the horns and it, it that that was probably a moment that I look back on with the most satisfaction, mm-hmm. I would say. Um, but Huey Lewis was a great was a great experience with all the horns and things we had going on. The guitar tracks weren't quite as difficult, so I could enjoy and absorb the whole band a little more instead of just, oh, I've got to pull off what I've got to pull off. And that was that was one that I'll I'll always certainly remember. All, all those tracks were so fun yeah. to play. The horns, it, there's just... <laughs> <laughs> you add horns and yeah. it's like, oh, this is this is legit. Yeah. There's something about yeah. the horn section. Of course, those yeah. guys are such great players too. But they are. There is a the, every video with horns in it seems to have just a different magnitude of yes, sir. professionalism and just depth. I, I don't. You can't even really quantify what yeah. it is. But and for me, you know, having played the guitar for a little bit over forty years, the times that I've played with horns, I could probably count on, you know, my hands and feet. So when you get to hear them live, it's like a treat. Like most bar bands or bands that you're in are not going to have the the luxury of horns. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Just talk about um, maybe guests, and uh, we we you know we have to bring in guests for most for most of them, and sometimes that means kind of sharing our seat. uh, You know, especially in guitar world, it's Mm -hmm. well if you have a guest guitarist, it's it's man, I might love these songs, but you know we need to go back and forth and share and have there been times uh, maybe give me a few highlights of guests yeah it, it doesn't have to be just guitar players question. but you went you know when i really appreciated this guy or or, or this gal and what they brought yeah. any guests stand out to you yeah yeah they do and i would say before that just real quickly that one thing about this setup where we do invite people in and, and cover parts is i think over the four years that we've been doing this now uh here in 2017 um I think you define what it is you do well and don't do well better. Mm-hmm. And you have to be honest with yourself and say, hey, I'm pretty good at these passages and these things, but these things are not my cup of tea and we need some help on them. So that's a good thing for any player, I think, uh, unless you're just gifted to do everything well, which I'm not. But a couple of guests is Sam Jones, who played um, 
Jimi Hendrix and and I think an upcoming series that we're going to put out here shortly. I can remember not being a part of that, you know, yourself on bass and Brian on drums and and uh, and just sitting there in, in the studio watching that go down and seeing Sam play and sing those songs. I literally was teary-eyed watching him do what he did. It, it moved me to not be in part of it, to be in it, and to be focused on having to pull it off and just enjoy it. I mean, it was to see what he could do was so radically different than anything I could even dream of doing yeah. was inspiring. Uh, Tom, my friend from uh, New Jersey, yeah. really yeah. the lab band friend now, yeah, yeah. I think we've all adopted him, and um, to see him play some really intricate parts with another sort of guitar hero of mine, James Cornette, mm-hmm. to see them play those Boston solos, which any guitar player knows those aren't something that you just improvise on the fly with such accuracy was inspiring. Yeah. And we've had a lot of incredible musicians come through. Yeah. You know, Sam... Sam uh, doesn't necessarily, necessarily, and he he would agree with this uh, if he were sitting here. He doesn't necessarily always fit the lab band mold because he just when Sam plays, it's what's inside of him that just comes out. He's not necessarily interested in always copying exactly, which is more what we do. But when we did that Jimi Hendrix thing, it just worked. Mm, like man. I remember being in that moment going. I don't want this to ever end. It was pretty special. <laughs> like, it was pretty we, special. Can we just play these songs a hundred more yeah. times? Um, yeah. Because of all of our guests, he's the one that that there's just some. He just has something inside of him that has he to does. come out through the guitar. Um, yeah. He's just a special kid. But I've also just appreciated seeing the differences in all the different guitar players mm-hmm. that came in. I remember when we did the Eagles. I mean, it literally took all an army, an army, but it and it literally took the right guys playing the right parts. You know, mm-hmm. for, Jimmy needed to play certain parts, mm-hmm. and you needed to play certain parts, and mm-hmm. um, you know, Rob had to play mandolin lick, and you know, it just was like it takes these different mm-hmm. skill sets, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the cool advantages yeah. that we have, um, just having so many friends that are musicians and just being in this area is the ability just to reach out to friends and go, hey, this sounds like you. Would you mm-hmm. come Would yeah. you come do it? Um, I think James is, is – you mentioned James Cornette. James, I shouldn't even be surprised, but he always comes in and he always sounds yeah, like the record. It doesn't matter what you throw at him. It's yeah. like he comes in and I he sounds it. just like the record. And yeah. when he played the solo, the first half of the solo on Janie's Got a Gun, mm. I think I was like, I don't know that anybody else I know – could have done that rattly strat thing yeah. the way that he did it. Yeah. And I remember somebody commented either on YouTube or Facebook, like, that's you clearly had to fix that in the studio or do that. And I was like, oh, no, that that's James. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know anybody else that would have played it yeah. that well. So it's been neat to celebrate and see other people it has. do it while we still get to be part of it and, and yeah. play songs we love and, and do all those things. So. Mm-hmm. Well, man, I appreciate you kind of coming Thanks in today, and uh, it's just been a great conversation, and maybe we'll get to do this again in the future, but um, appreciate all the listeners uh, listening in to our first uh, installment of uh, the Lexington Lab Band podcast, and uh, we'll hopefully have another one out here real soon. Uh, but as you uh, continue just to check out our videos, just stay with us on YouTube, on Dale's channel, uh, Tone Doctor, and on Facebook. Uh, with Lexington Lab Band, and uh, lots of you ask about live shows. We do one live show a year, so I'll throw that out here. It's always in November, and we hope to have that date set here in the next month or two. So kind of keep November clear. Uh, For those of you that ask about that, uh, we'd love to see you here in Lexington for a 
just a big celebration of all the musicians and artists and guests and uh, things. It's just, it's really one of the highlights, and I wish we had more time to talk about that, but maybe next time we can do that. So, Dale, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Mm-hmm.